This is 20 Questions on Design Lake City, and today we have Matt Sutton on the show. Thanks for jumping on, Matt. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Mm -hmm. Matt is founder of Binary, an additive fabrication studio here in SLC. Um, Matt, how long has Binary been um, in uh, in action? Uh, Binary uh, started out as an idea in uh, late 2017, and finally kind of came to fruition um, early part of 2018 is when I dove in to do this full time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And what, what kind of work happens at Binary? So a lot of uh, the, the work at Binary is uh, pr- primarily, you know, an additive fabrication uh, type of work. So uh, it's essentially 3D printing, but the goal um, behind a lot of the work is taking uh, various materials um, with you know, with respect to plastics, we, we work with a lot of recycled plastics. Uh, we also work with ceramics, um, but to produce end use kind of finished objects uh, using additive fabrication or or three D printing, if you will. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, tends to be a lot of kind of like home goods type products, um, simple kind of furniture pieces, uh, ceramic drinkware, um, you know, some lighting products, uh, these kinds of things. And um, I'm assuming you guys have an online presence. What's the best way to kind of check your work out? Uh, probably the Instagram uh, presence is, is the best representation of, of a lot of our work. So it's uh, just uh, at binary SLC. Great. Okay. And we'll, we'll unpack like some uh, more of what you guys get into and your philosophy, philosophy behind it um, through 20 questions. Sounds great. Yeah, let's do it. First few questions are warm-up questions. So number one, what is something everyone should do or try at least once in their life? I think, uh, you know, so this is obviously informed a lot by kind of what I've been doing recently, but I, I think that big idea or that big kind of goal uh, or dream is something that I think everyone should definitely uh, should try. And for me, it was, it was establishing binary and, and my own practice around, you know, technology and, and a method of fabrication that, I personally found really fascinating um, and I had identified some areas where I felt it was kind of limited and I thought, Hey, you know, I, I could probably go and, and maybe do something to, um, to improve that. And um, you know, and which was, you know, totally kind of this audacious idea of like, I'm going to go change the world. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I, I had been working for a long time uh, as, you know, a professional in an engineering role for various companies. And, you know, in some respects was kind of prepared for this, but in a lot of ways wasn't. And, you know, it, it gnawed at me for a long time of like, God, what, you know, I, I really want to do something in this space, but it, it's such a huge leap uh, to, to just to actually do it. And, um, you know, and so I think, uh, there's a, a huge amount of trepidation and fear that kind of keeps people back from doing those things. But um, boy, what a, what a ride it's been. And I, 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 you know, it's not been like all sunshine and rainbows. Um, but I think that's kind of the point is to, you know, kind of see what you're made of and, uh, 
and, and push yourself and, and, you know, and I don't think it necessarily has to be something like so life altering as like, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start something new. I think, you know, you can, there, there's, I think there's a, a, there's a spectrum of kind of scale there on kind of pushing yourself. But I think that, you know, it's almost like a personal trust challenge of like, I do, I feel like I can survive this and kind of come out of it stronger and better. And, and I think there's a variety of experiences that can, push you like that. But I think, yeah, like setting, like pushing yourself into some place where you are likely to fail and just kind of trusting that you're going to come out, you're going to come out okay. And you're probably going to come out a little bit stronger. I think that's something that, that everyone should try at, at least once, maybe start small, but you know, like, Oh, your dream, yeah. man. Yes. Yeah. Um, question two, what gets you up in the morning? What I enjoy most about, what I do and what, you know, even I've done in previous jobs is, is just the, the opportunity to, to make something new. Um, and that's generally speaking, when I, when I'm getting out of bed, excited to kind of like approach the day that it's because of that, there's something pulling me into the studio that I'm really excited to try and to make. And, um, when I don't have that pulling me, (laughs) it's, it is a little harder to get out of bed in the morning, but that, you know, when there's, when there's this this thing that's in my head that I really want to get out and, and physically realize, which is part of the appeal of working with a technology like 3D printing, is you can quickly kind of get these ideas out of your head, off of a piece of paper, and kind of into that 3D's physical space so where you can actually interact with it. And that's really rewarding. Um, and I think when, so when I have these things that I'm like, okay, I'm ready to make this, and I'm ready to try this out, and I'm ready to see what this does, and how it looks and how it feels. And um, those are the days that I'm, you know, I'm really excited to just like, you know, I'm, you know, jumping out of bed and down in a cup of coffee and out the door as fast as I can. Mm, that's awesome. I like that. The act of creation. Yes. It's kind of it's moving. Yes. Um, okay. So related question. Once you're up, what, what makes you dance? What makes you dance in a day? <laughs> yeah. I, so I've noticed, and I think 2020 has been such a, a, a year for so many people um, that, you know, there, there hasn't been probably as much dancing this year as, as in the past. And I, you know, I, I found, you know, for me, movement of any kind, whether it's being active outside and biking or running or, uh, you know, just, you know, general movement and, and, and dancing included, it's like, I do these things when I'm joyous, you know, when I'm feeling joy, I'm dancing. Um, And, and yeah, I've noticed like this year, it's just, it's been kind of, I think joy has been in short supply. It's, uh, you know, just, it hasn't been as abundant as it has been in the past, but yeah, when I'm, when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling good, uh, when, when, you know, I'm just, you know, you're feeling light and, and you have kind of that joyous feeling, then, then I'm dancing and then I'm dancing typically to, uh, I don't know, 80s pop has this place in my heart <laughs> that, that, that'll get me moving. And sometimes when you're not feeling joyous, it, maybe you're on the fence, it, it'll kind of like the right sign comes on and it, it just pushes you over. You know, that's all you need. Nice. I like that. Through all of that, 80s pop was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a guilty um, pleasure. <laughs> yeah. I'm into it. Um, Okay, how about the book question? Do you have a favorite book on creativity um, that you'd like to share with our audience? 
So I, yeah, this one was a hard one. I don't have a, I would say, um, I can't point to a single favorite. Um, although I've enjoyed a few and I figured, you know, it, it'd be good to maybe I could unpack that and maybe we'll find some common threads. Um, but I, I think one that resonated with me, and I read this a long time ago, and it, it wouldn't, I think it kind of planted some seeds that, that you know, helped, you know, this idea of binary kind of grow. Um, but it's a book called uh, um, Shopcraft as Soulcraft. And um, that one was, was a really, really interesting look at, you know, like, comparing knowledge work to work with more kind of tangible outcomes and results and comparing, yeah, comparing and contrasting those activities and how, you know, uh, you know, they can basically, you know, kind of work the action of working with your hands and making things. And, you know, there's a real tactile aspect to that, that is, it's hard to replicate with just pure knowledge work. And so um, at the time, you know, I was working professionally in an engineering world, I was very analytical, very, um, had some hands-on elements, but not as many as as I liked um, or would prefer. And I think that that, that really resonated uh, with me. Um, and then, um, so this these next books are, are definitely uh, revealing of sort of my geeky side, but um, there is an actual conference called Robots in Architecture. And it happens uh, every three years, um, I believe. I know every two years, and they put out proceedings of this conference. And so it's like just a collection of papers, uh, which is super geeky, but it it's so inspiring every time that I I see the work that's being done in this field because it's basically this blend of technology and v real creative applications. Uh, predominantly in architecture, as you can imagine, but um, it's kind of like when architects get geeky and start getting into robots that, and it's like, this is their love child is like the output of this. And so that, that's kind of, it's a really, um, I don't know. I, I just enjoy, I enjoy seeing kind of like what's being done and what else is out there and, and like how, you know, what other perspectives are being brought to some of these, these, these issues and these challenges that come from, you know, taking technology and using it in different ways. Absolutely. Um, this sounds like an amazing conference too. Have you been to it in person? I have. I, I, I was at the last, the last one to be held was in 2019. Um, and it was in, it was in Switzerland and I did go and it was fantastic. And uh, yeah, it was great. Okay. Well, that's cool that they, um, they, document some of it for people that can't make it. So have to check that out. Okay, are you ready for the next question? Five. Yes. The, <laughs> the origin story question, which we ask everybody, um, clearly. Uh, everybody wants to know like how, how you got your start, how you got interested in design, and what kind of what was some of your early schooling and training to get you where you are today. Yeah. So mine is a long, winding road. Um, and uh, I am not trained as a designer. Um, I, I went to school at the University of Utah for uh, in, and studied mechanical engineering. And even, even that was kind of a, a long and winding road. I, I went through a few different um, 
I went through a few different majors. I, it took me a while to come back to uh, a technical field because I had, you know, I had <laughs> pretty bad experiences with calculus and physics and I thought, nope, not for me. Um, but I persevered and I kind of came to realize, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at some of this, this, this technical stuff. And, you know, where, where do I, would I find, where do I find a lot of, you know, really interesting, you know, topics to, to study while I'm at school not thinking anything about profession. It was just more kind of like what, what, what I seem to gravitate towards. And, um, and that was it. And so I, I went through the mechanical engineering program at the University of Utah, graduated uh, from their program in 2002, and then decided, you know, I'm not really ready yet for work. I don't know. I, don't, I, I just, I literally, I enjoyed learning so much that I just had never put thought into what's next or like what, what's that career path that I want to follow. Um, and so I went to graduate school for <laughs> to learn more mechanical engineering. And so, um, yeah. And so I, 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 uh, did two more years of graduate school, um, and then, uh, graduated, uh, with, again, without really any clear direction of like what was next. Um, and so I kind of migrated back to Salt Lake city and, and found a job at black diamond equipment working, as a process engineer for them, okay. uh, which that's, cool. that's a legit job. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was lucky. I was fortunate to to land in that role. Um, and for those that don't know, a process engineer basically is you're typically working in, in manufacturing, sometimes general operations, but mostly manufacturing. And you're you're essentially kind of taking a, a step back and looking at the processes in general, and just kind of identifying opportunities for better efficiency or, you know, improve quality, et cetera. And then kind of working with production to implement those. So it's, it's kind of this analytical role within a very hands-on portion of, you know, a company. And, um, and I did that for about four years um, and had a great time. Um, but, it, you know, again, it's this very kind of analytical role and there's creativity for sure, but it's, it's definitely not a design role. And, um, and after being there for a few years, um, I had an opportunity to go and work at another company here in Salt Lake called Three Form. And oh, okay. Three Form um, manufactures they they design and manufacture like highly decorative paneling that is used throughout interior spaces um, and some exteriors. Yeah. So it's a lot. It finds a lot of application in architectural spaces. Um, it's predominantly transparent, yeah, uh, expensive stuff, right? very, very expensive, very, um, kind of luxurious looking, you know, resin panels and glass panels with, we always describe it as like, it's like two sheets of clear plastic with something smashed in the middle. So it's yeah, <laughs> yeah a very rudimentary way to like describe it, but, um, you know, leaves and grasses and branches yeah. and fabrics and, you know, it, it, and I'm kind of underselling the product because it, it yeah, no, it's beautiful. quite beautiful. <laughs> and, um, and I was brought on to work, again, in an engineering role, but it was a much broader role where suddenly now it wasn't just working with production and manufacturing. Um, and in fact, there was very little of that. It was more of, okay, here's what are technologies that we should be looking at that would 
either create opportunities to make new products or, you know, vastly improve the way that we're making current products. Um, and then also working with their design group um, to bring their ideas to life. So it was a design group that um, had come from uh, a mix of interior design and industrial design backgrounds and right. were very strong in um, various elements of those, but, you know, needed a technical partner to kind of help realize some of their ideas. Cause it's like, you know, that that's just how it works. Like you can't, you can't have these like awesome groundbreaking ideas and be expected to deliver them in its entirety. Like it's, so we would work with them to, to do these things. And it was, it was the first time I'd really been involved in this, that side of things like that whole creative and design and creating aspect of, you know, new ideas and new products. And, um, and so that was kind of, that was my, that was the, the gateway drug, if you will, to kind of getting into this, this design space. And, um, and then I just found myself kind of, I was really fascinated having come from the engineering background of, of just like how designers think, you know, like the, the, the way that, designers tend to approach a problem is it's just it's very different from the way someone with an engineering background tends to approach sure. that yeah. problem you more, know more iterative kind yeah. of yeah yeah there's um the, it it's less i would say uh if i had to put some labels to it it's kind of like there's it tends to be like less analytical and more kind of intuitive driven. And there's not to say that there's not like technique and craft behind that. That's informing it that you're, that's kind of behind the scenes. Um, But, and then the ability to kind of, um, I think engineers tend to be drawn to like, it's like, well, let's, let's set constraints, let's set parameters. And then let's like bounce within them to kind of, you know, kind of some solution that meets all these things. And, designers tend to, my experience was, you know, you, there there was this constant kind of reframing of the problems that was really fascinating to me of like, it's like, well, this is the problem, but what if we looked at it from this way? And then, you know, suddenly now it's completely look, it looks completely different. And now there's all these different solutions available. And that was really interesting to me. And then, um, and just kind of seeing it play out in an application space, like, architectural products. It was really, it was really fun to kind of, um, you know, play with different ideas and play with, you know, different ways of making things. And, um, and that was, that was a lot of fun. And that, that, that was kind of like that. So just over the course of eight years at three form, that was this gradual transition of like, okay, let's, I have my engineering side, but like I really, really fascinated by this whole design side as well, and I started paying more and more attention to the, you know that space. Yeah, it sounds like um, from what I understand, there there's a pretty high level, robust, like kind of robust, um, intelligent team at uh, design team at Three Forum, right? So you were there eight years, you said. Yes. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a long time to kind of learn from some pros. Yeah. No, it was. And it was like, um, you know, everyone kind of had different strengths and you had, you know, you had, you had people that um, were just really great at, at picking, you know, picking color and pattern as an engineer. Like this is nothing that I would have deemed a skill set when I was coming out of school, you know, it just, 
and it was showed my ignorance, right? Because then suddenly, you know, especially the last three years as I've been doing binary um, and things like color and pattern in furniture pieces suddenly like have an elevated importance. And you're thinking, I don't know the first thing about this. <laughs> and, and being thrust into that role uh, without kind of the requisite skill sets or abilities um, that I had seen at three form, you know, suddenly cast into light, like how, how important those, those skill sets can be. Um, and so, but people that were really great at that, um, people that were phenomenal at drawing, you know, <laughs> 3d perspective drawings, like just freehand. And, you know, suddenly you're going like, Oh, that's what you want. That, that's perfect. Like, yeah, I can make that. And, you know, I mean, the ability to communicate, you know, visually, um, I think is um, a skill set that that that's definitely not instructed uh, in a lot of engineering programs at universities, you know, like let's take these ideas and, and make them very easy to, to communicate and digest for an audience. You know, it's, it's uh, that's just not taught. And so uh, it wasn't until kind of encountering that being done well, that I understood how poor I was at that. It was kind of like, Oh, wow, that's, that's something I need to work on. And, um, but yeah, it was a great environment to be in because you had, you were surrounded by so many people that were good at different things and you could kind of pick and choose kind of where you were, you were getting, um, uh, not just inspiration, but like, you know, building skills. And so you were inspired to start your, your own creative business. And that was in 2018, right? Yeah. The, the inception of binary um and then uh so when you started binary did you have um colleagues did you kind of go it alone i uh i went completely alone which um i don't know if i necessarily recommend that i i don't know in some ways it's it's kind of i think when it's your vision and your idea and you you feel it in your gut but you have a hard time kind of explaining it maybe going alone is kind of the only way (laughs) But sure. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I had I had developed this interest in three D printing, like two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, sometime back then, and it was almost out of shame because I was this degreed engineer, and you're starting to see like in the news, like, you know, kindergartens now have three D printers, and public libraries have three D printers, and I knew nothing about this technology. It was embarrassing. You know, it was kind of like, I couldn't, I probably wouldn't have been able to turn one on. It was just, it was that, that level of embarrassment. And I just thought, this is really dumb. Like I, you know, I, here I am, I'm a, I'm a degree engineer. I work at a company that like we make stuff out of plastic. Like I need to be, this to me just seems like, Something yeah, I need to be educated on. Yeah. And so um, so I had uh, pitched to uh, the company this idea of like, hey, let's, let's invest in this. Let's buy one. And th- back then, like 3D printers had started to come down in price, but they were still fairly expensive. I mean, you were looking at like a decent one was like two grand. And um, I think on the, the very, very low end, it was like 500 bucks. So I pitched to the company, hey, let's invest in one of these for us to use. And, you know, as most companies do, they want to know well, what's the payback. Like, what's, what's, 
what's the justification for it? What are you going to use it for? How's it going to make us more money? And at the time, I didn't have a lot of good answers. Talking three form again? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I didn't have a lot of great answers for it. It was a lot of speculative stuff. It's like, well, maybe we'll do this, or maybe we'll learn that. And, and that just wasn't good enough. So that request was denied. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to do it myself. And so I went on Amazon. I bought a, a little printer bot for 500 bucks. And um, it lived on my desk at work for a long time. And I just kind of started playing with it. And, um, and for me, what was exciting was this was this technology that at the time was only about small-scale objects. It was only about prototypes really like like let's just kind of make something and then so that we can use it to inform this design process and then at the end we throw it away because we're going to make the, the final objects made a different way yeah um yeah it's a study study tool yeah it's a study tool and um and then it there wasn't a lot of like there weren't many material options it was like it was it wasn't just plastic it was like there was like two kinds of plastic that you could use so I think in the back of my head, I just saw opportunity. I was like, God, what if you could scale this? What if it did get bigger? Like, and it would eventually. I knew it would. I didn't know how it was going to do that. But it was something that I'm like, I know this is going to get bigger. I know at some point, like, how cool would it be if we could take the materials we use at 3Form and use those in this printer? Um, and then as that idea kind of like germinated and grew into something, then you, you started, I started kind of thinking about, you know, what about recycling and how does, how does that, that fit into this technology? Because they, they actually marry together quite well. You have, you have this, uh, you know, this material, you know, plastics in general, and there's millions of plastics, but they're out there, they're everywhere. Um, they're they have the ability to kind of like get a recycled feedstock was not like out of reach. Um, I, so I had that insight from my time at three form of just, you know, how, how much of this material is out there. Um, and then you have this, this technology that kind of lets you make something, you know, out of thin air, like, you know, you start with literally nothing on this machine and then you hit a button and a few hours later, there's something there. And that to me is, it's still, after all these years of working with this technology, there's still an element of magic to that. That, um, And so that was, those were kind of these ideas that were bouncing around. And, um, and then fast forward to 2016, 2017, um, that's when I, stumbled into this world of robotics being used in, you know, digital fabrication and architectural space. And uh, one of the applications was as, as using these robot arms as 3D printers. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I just, my mind was blown. And I just really, I learned as much as I could about that. And that's when I discovered that 3Form had a robot arm <laughs> that was just kind of sitting in the corner and wasn't getting used. And, um, and so I, again, went to the company and said, hey, let's, I have this idea for using this robot arm as a giant 3D printer. And we could use, 
you know, the plastics that we're using, we can take, you know, basically the panels that, you know, uh, don't pass quality control, grind them up, we could print with them and, you know, you know, I don't know what we'd make, but we'd probably make something cool. You know, it's like, you have such talented designers here, we could probably come up with something. And again, I think, you know, there just wasn't an appetite for that kind of risk around, you know, just kind of diving into this like unknown technology and this unknown, you know, space. And, uh, and so that was denied. <laughs> and if you're sensing a theme here, so I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, I want to do this, you know? And so that was late 2017. Um, I purchased the robot from three farm and, uh, in kind of early 2018 decided that I wanted to go off on my own and, uh, and try to, to, to do this full time. And by this, I mean, you know, it was really undetermined. It was like, it was, it was embarrassingly undetermined. There was, there was no business plan. Um, there was, and I don't recommend this to anybody. Uh, by the way, I don't suggest going out and doing it this way. Like, please learn from me of, you know, think through this a little bit more because it will save you a lot of personal angst um, and anxiety around like, how am I going to make money? But um, the idea was kind of, yeah, let's use recycled plastics. Let's 3D print things that people can use in their daily life. And let's do it at a scale that it's not just these little things that sit on a desktop. It's, you know, you can actually start making something that uh, people can use in their home or in their office or um, and you're going to be using recycled materials and uh, you know a new technology and and hopefully that's enough to get people interested very cool so binary was born binary was born um, okay so in like a related question um, is there a project that you 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 guys I guess at binary you, you personally um, should be known for like is there a project that you could identify um, as maybe your signature project thus far? Yeah, unfortunately, nothing, nothing like around town. Like I think in an architectural sense or maybe someone else might be able to point to like a certain building and be like, well, that guy worked on that one. That was, that was really cool. And I wish I had more product out in the Valley that people could kind of go and see and, and recognize as a binary piece, sure. but well, that's what the internet is for. yeah, that's what the internet's for. Um, so the, the, I would say the project that I've worked on that I'm most I'm most proud of um, has been uh, just taking off the shelf 3D printers for plastic and converting them into 3D printers for clay. Um, and that's something that I borrowed. You know, I benefited tremendously from the open source in uh, kind of community. That had been that has built up around clay 3D printing. I mean, there's, it's it's really uh, a big community around 3D printing in general. But there was a, a really robust community around clay 3D printing um, that was doing a lot of the groundwork and a lot of the heavy lifting, and then publishing their work of like, hey, this is okay. Here's the problem. How do we solve it? Here's how we solved it. Moving on to the next problem. And so as I came into this. Uh, I was really able to benefit from that that community's work, and um, and so uh, that's enabled uh, myself and and Binary as a studio to augment the plastics with ceramics. And so now, you know, not only is it uh, are we kind of multi-scale from small to big, but we're multi-material. And I think that's something that 
you know, not everyone's going to resonate with a certain material. And so having these options available to me was very important and something that I really wanted to bring into the practice of not just being, uh, not just forcing people into a single choice for material, like to have different options. And, That's um, cool. and is, is it ceramic that you can fire and therefore eat out of and put in the dishwasher? Is it that kind of level? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I mean, we've worked with a variety of different clays, but it's essentially, you know, the same clays that, uh, you know, a, 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 a potter would use uh, in their yeah. practice. So absolutely. You're firing it and glazing it and then refiring it. And, and then what you're left with is a, a ceramic object, just like someone could build, you know, by hand or, or you know, through casting or some other method, but, uh, um, but super what, cool. Yeah, I remember um, in so when I was in design school, you know, around 2010, we had 3D printers and a few different types. But yeah, ceramic printing was still kind of theoretical. Um, and I remember thinking, yeah, what a game changer it would be once, like, yeah, once ceramics could be printed. So kudos, kudos to kind of getting into that space. No, it's been it's been really great, and it's enabled, you know, part of that experience. You know, what I really what I realized in going through that experience was like, you know, no one does these things alone. Like you, you can't, very few of us, I would say, are, are capable of climbing these peaks by ourselves. And yeah. Um, yeah. so one, of, it does, it takes, it takes a community and it does take a village. And, and so, um, so the, the clay 3D printing, one, an ancillary benefit to this has been community engagement, you know, because I think, um, there's been, it resonates, 3D printing, I think in general, doesn't resonate with a lot of people the way that clay 3D printing has or, or yeah. seems to. And I think what that translates into is I think there's a curiosity around it. I think people are, are a little bit more excited to see what it's about. And it's allowed me to host workshops and, mm -hmm. you know, and bring people into the studio space. Of course, this is all pre-COVID, but um, you know, and that was, that was great because that was, and that was not intended at the outset of like, oh, I'm going to do this because I want to have these workshops. It was more like I did it. I was really personally fulfilled. I saw the reaction in other people of how excited they got and how they wanted to learn about it. And it was this kind of a natural consequence of that, of being like, Hey, well, let's, why don't we all come together and we'll spend a Saturday and let's let's do this and uh and that was it's still, on my, uh, it's still on my bucket list um to take one of your workshops i was actually introduced to binary through a friend who yeah was suggesting we should take the workshop i think yeah this was like in 2019 and we're like oh okay we'll we'll take the next one and then covid hit but um yeah it's still on my list for sure i think that's really cool um that you guys do those um, public workshops um uh, so i want to i want to shift to a couple um salt lake related questions um, so down the list, question eight, uh, what, what design in Salt Lake do you love or what, what makes you, you know, proud, I guess, in Salt Lake design wise? No. Um, so the, yeah, this is a, it was a great question. I had to think about this in a little bit because nothing, nothing immediately leapt to mind that I thought was like a worthy answer. And so it's kind of like, no, that's not going to sound good. So I need to think of something better. But what I keep coming back to, and I think this is very, um, I think this this really uh, reveals a lot about me potentially more than the design itself. But there's 
Uh, I, so I, I used to live uh, down near Liberty Park, and uh, I lived there for 15 years almost. Oh, and okay. um, and there's a salon that is was in that neighborhood, and it's called Sequel. And it's, uh, it's on the corner of, what, 900 South and 400 East. And, oh, right. Um, Kitty Corner to uh, Pig in the Jelly Jar. Yes, exactly. And... And I've always like stared at this building every time that I go by because there's just something about that about it that is like captivating to me. And I struggled with <laughs> what it was. I you know like, after looking at it enough times, you're going like, okay, why is it that this building keeps calling to me the way that it seems to? Because I can't stop looking at it every time I go by. And I think I finally figured it out a few years ago where, cause it, it basically, it's, I guess people just have to go and check it out and look at it, but it's got this, what appears to be a floating corner. Um, yeah. And, and I, and then if you look, so spoiler alert, if you look very, very closely, there's this tiny little post <laughs> that is kind of obscured by the corners of the glass. Hmm. And that's, so that's the magic, right? Is it's like you, it's it's supported, but you don't see it, and so it has this this appearance of being invisible um, or floating and lightweight, and you know, and it's like it's this very simple trick. It's it's such a clever solution. It's not high tech at all. It's just kind of like this illusion. And um, so whoever thought of that, kudos to them. I think that's just yeah. it was really well executed, and uh, and I think I think. I, I tend to appreciate those aspects of design that it's, it's there's where there's something about it that pulls you in, but you don't know what that is. And it really takes you a while to uncover that and like unpack it. And, and, you know, it, there's a mysterious quality um, that, you know, that had sort of had pulled me in without me really realizing what it was that was pulling it. And, you know, that, that to me was, was really interesting. It's a cool building for sure. Yeah, that's, you know, as you know, my neighborhood too. I live just around the corner from there. So we, I almost like take it for granted. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice little like international style, like modern, modern Marvel in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very like Mies van der Rohe to me, um, you know, classic modern, mid-century modern. So I, I'm lucky enough to have been to the Barcelona Pavilion mm-hmm. in Barcelona, you know, designed by Mies van der Rohe. And there's like a lot of similarities there. Yeah, like that. It's kind of like like huge flat um, floating roof and, you know, glass walls. And I think, um, yeah, definitely they, they took some some cues from Mies, you know, but that's what you do if you want to do something modern. Well, I think, um, I think too, Aaron, and you'll appreciate this because of where, you know, uh, you living in the neighborhood. So, um, but, so when I moved to that neighborhood in 2005, you know, I think people that maybe have uh, moved to Salt Lake City more recently, or maybe they're they're just kind of now discovering that that part of Salt Lake City might look at that space and and be like, you know, see that see that salon, and then see um, maybe some of the buildings nearby, and kind of feel like, oh yeah, that that kind of fits in or whatever. But 15 years ago, or whenever that building went in, which was kind of a while ago, like it, it kind of came out of nowhere. It's like there, there was nothing else around it like it. <laughs> it was, you know, and so I think that too is uh, was part of part of it was there was definitely a contrast between that building and what what was around. Cool. So let's get into some of these practice-related questions. 
question 10, do you have a special process for kind of re- recharging or replenishing your soul when you're not working? Uh, yeah, for me, it's it's really about getting out of my head completely. So um, I, I think a lot of techniques for getting unstuck, uh, I think generally people acknowledge the benefit of like stepping away from that problem, you know, of like, okay, I've got to move on for a little bit and let my subconscious do its thing. And, and then I'll, you know, wait for that moment in the shower or whatever, where kind of like the solution pops into your head. Um, for me, I've noticed that I, I've got to go even further of like, I've got to get away completely from like thinking like it's gotta be, um, you know, I've got to transition to just like pure movement as much as I can. And, you know, and so my, my background, you know, I was raised, like I played soccer as a kid and, you know, I've always been really athletic and really active and in high school and, and we're in college. And then I got into, um, cycling and competitive cycling and mountain biking and, you know, and continue to run. And, and so uh, that's always been kind of a sanctuary for me is being able to get out and, and just and like move. Cause like when you're, you know, trying to like climb up some big hill in the Wasatch, you know, on foot, it's just, you know, like there's not a whole lot of space in your head for thinking like you're just, you're trying to breathe. <laughs> but the next question is about inspiration. Where, where do you find inspiration? I find it from, uh, honestly, um, I've got to get, it's going to kind of continue the theme of like movement is, um, is travel. You know, I find, and it doesn't necessarily need to be international travel. Um, although that I think that that helps, I think like, uh, what I found is like that time on a plane or that time, uh, in a car driving down to Moab or, you know, just, I think getting out of your, your normal surroundings and your normal environment, um, for me is, is an enormous I, I find that that when I do those those little trips, it could be a weekend, it could be two weeks. Um but just getting out of like your normal environment is is really recharging. It's almost kind of like you've got to get that, that normal stuff just out of sight, out of mind. Um you, you can't have the dishwasher looking at you being like, oh I've got to unload that thing or Oh, I've got that laundry to do, or oh, there's that door I need to fix. You know, it's like you've really got to get away from these things, and um, and I think that's when you know you're 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 noticing more things. You're probably um, you, you know your brain's not occupied by these these chores, <laughs> and so you're you know you're. I find that that it definitely unlocks the this element. Uh, in, in my brain that, that, that seems closed off when I'm at home or it's harder to access. And so, yeah, super relevant to this year. Yes. Uh, yes. Considering how, how hard it is to yeah, get out of the house. You know, a lot of us, I think you and I both, you know, working from home, you know, doing everything at home, you know, taking care of, taking care of kids. It's yeah, it's been, it's been hard to get that break. Um, and I think you realize, um, how how valuable having that that space or that break is, especially when you're kind of stuck at home. Yeah, I would say this year the well has felt quite dry. Like it has been, um, and I remarked that to some friends of mine who, you know, mid year were kind of checking in, being like, "Oh, how's the practice going?" And I, you know, I, I, to be honest, it was it wasn't. It, it just it, it wasn't going poorly. It wasn't going well. It just it wasn't going. It was kind of like um, you're just sort of figuring out you know, how do I, how do I do 
what I normally did before with all this other stuff going on. And I think some people figured out quickly how to adapt to that. And I think some other people didn't. And I think I fell into that second category of people of just going like, you know, and here it is December and I'm still going like, oh man, I can't, like I'm still trying to figure out uh, how to not get tripped up by the, the kind of daily uh, inconveniences uh, at yeah. best that, that COVID has kind of input, uh, uh, put on everyone. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm just barely figuring it out. Like I'm going to start um, getting to work on my sourdough, yeah. <laughs> baking, you know, starting starting this week, you know, like I'm, I'm just kind of getting my stride. Well, I think, and on the other end of this too, you know, back in the spring when I think there was, um, you know, of course, depending on who you were and how you kind of perceived uh, the severity of everything, you know, um, but for me, it was definitely this kind of element of like, what's the point, you know, kind of, you know, it's like, I used to really get excited about going and thinking about new things to make or new ways to make things. And, and then I think COVID kind of <laughs> put that in stark relief of kind of like, it, the world doesn't need another coffee cup. Like It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. And I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of you know, creatives and artists and, you know, people who, you know, are, are choosing who, you know, aren't doing this, like, you know, they're not firefighters, they're not nurses, they're not, they're not saving the world the way that, you know, these, these other professions are able to do. And it's kind of like you, that can be a struggle of like, well, what is the relevance of my profession in this environment? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, you know, in the world yes, uh, as a whole, in culture, you yeah. know, and I think thing to kind of like reevaluate our our position and our value absolutely absolutely so next question i like this question do you have a secret weapon my secret weapon is a grasshopper and that is a very detailed uh so so for those that that don't maybe know what that is it's uh essentially a a software tool and it's um, a software tool that's specific to 3D design and um, CAD, you know, computer-aided design um, of 3D objects. And it's it's a new tool that came about in the last few years that's allowed people to kind of combine elements of computer programming with elements of design and therefore generate either much more complicated designs or to kind of do things with their designs that they couldn't in the past or that were very difficult. And... Uh, and that's not necessarily like a secret tool. I mean, it's out there for everyone that wants to learn it to use it, but it's definitely enabled. It's enabled, you know, binary as a studio and as a practice to exist. I think without that tool, like my, my practice wouldn't exist because I, I didn't have the skill sets to build these tools that allow for this kind of work. Um, but that's, that's been, yeah, that was my, uh, that's, that's my secret weapon. If you take that away, I am powerless. I am I'm like I'm like Superman on his normal planet, you know. So, it it yeah. Great. Okay. So, how about a few more rapid questions? Uh, Thirteen. What needs a redesign? I think our relationship with kind of materials and things, just in general, I think is a. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are starting to question, you know, the, the wisdom of 
you know, allowing for so much, you know, for example, single use packaging. And um, I just, I think there's a disposability element to, to things that just really need to be reexamined. Um, and I, it's an enormous problem to solve. I don't pr- pretend to have answers for this. So many systems and layers involved. Yeah. Yes. And it's inertia. Hard, but- there's, yeah, a, there's a giant flywheel that just uh, has been spinning for, for ages. And yeah, I feel um, like it's one of those where engineers can't, you know, address like a, a solo engineer can't address it in their garage. It's, it's different. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but I, I think, you know, as I, as I started a practice kind of based on this idea of reclaiming recycled materials in putting them to use in, you know, products that could be, could offer like better longevity or, um, you know, go from kind of a, a single or, you know, maybe just a few uses to something that, you know, lived for years. And, you know, what you, that's initially really exciting. And then what you realize is like, you're a drop in the, the ocean. Like there's just, <laughs> there's just so much out there. There's just so much waste and there's so much of this that is, very difficult to reclaim um, and not necessarily because of technical reasons, just because of, you know, the way that we collect things and the way that we mix everything together and then try to sort it back out. And, you know, it's, you know, so I think there's a lot of problems with, you know, our relationship to, to things that, you know, get thrown away um, that needs to get, you know, and it is, it's like, it's, it's a, it's redesigned. It needs to be redesigned from the ground up. Like it cannot be, this one person going, aha, I found the, here's the widget that solves this. Yeah. Yeah. Systems and behaviors. You yeah. know, one, one thought I had about that though, is like, I wonder if it can be achieved through um, small communities, like kind of closed loop communities where, you know, um, a few sets of families and a few sets of restaurants or like a, a kind of a small neighborhood where you, where you have your, you know, uh, a coffee shop, a restaurant, and a supermarket involved in trying to like um, cycle materials or kind of keep things in a loop um, is, is one way I've thought about it. Yeah, because it does. It, there are like so many layers, but I wonder if you can almost have like a like a pilot neighborhood try to pull it off. And there probably are examples of that. But um, that's, yeah, I, that's, I, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a great. I think it's a great starting point. I think there's, it's almost kind of like a little laboratory experience, experiment where um, people try things and it's like, okay, like we tried this in our household. It kind of worked. Let's, let's broaden it to a neighborhood and see, does it scale? You know, let's broaden it to include a few businesses. Does it, does it bog down or does it still work? And I think um, that kind of, that kind of approach um, would really bear fruit. Um, But yeah. I mean, I'm inspired. Let's you know, come <laughs> like a neighborhood near you. Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Next question. Um, let's see, where were we? 14. What are you working towards outside of design right now? I am working towards getting back to some level of normalcy, I think, just in, in personal life. I think that's been um, enormously disruptive to practice and enormously disruptive to, you know, for everybody of just kind of figuring out, you, you know, how do you, how do you rebalance everything? And I don't think you go back to necessarily exactly the way things were a year ago. Um, 
And some people might, and that might work for them. I think what's probably going to work for a lot of people is some hybrid. Um, but I think there's going to be a little bit of like exploratory work for people to figure out like what is the, what's the mix that, that works best. Um, the example I, that I talk about a lot with people is um, I, I have loved having, like, I, I like, let me rephrase this. It, it has been driving me insane that I've had, like, no break from my children, whom I adore and I love, by the way. Um, but at the same time, with, like, the thought of, you know, things going back to normal from the perspective of school, like, them going back to school, um, like, it kind of makes me sad. I'm thinking, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be around them all the time again. And even though that drives me nuts, you know, so it's kind of like, well, so where's that happening medium and what does that look like? And, and where do you, where do you land on, what do you land on that kind of like becomes that new normal? I don't know what it's going to be. Um, so That's I think, you know, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I have a four year old and seven year old. And um, since March, since the pandemic, yeah, they've been home so much. And at first it was yeah, really frustrating cause I couldn't get anything done, but now I've kind of like, um, embrace their you know their presence and this time together we have in such a cute age right four-year-old yes. um and yeah like i'm with you i don't i don't want to um go back to only seeing them like an hour a day you know on the weekdays again i i i, I am like cherishing this time yeah so what's what is that balance so yeah. really interesting yeah and so and for me it's been even better from this well, I shouldn't say even better. It's been similar to you in that, you know, so my, my oldest is seven as well. And, and he has been at the studio with me quite a bit um, as he's been doing his remote learning. Some days he'll do that from home. Some days he'll do that with me at, at our studio. And so um, I know that he's benefited from just kind of being around the work. And I think that's that's been a side benefit to this whole shutdown has been this exposure at a young age of like, you know, work isn't something for the kids that like dad goes away and does. And like, I don't know what he does. Like, you know, it's work, you know, and I'm at school. And I think him seeing that firsthand of like, what is it that I do? And what is it like, what are the things that, that I work on? And, um, you know, I, 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 there's, there's gotta be some benefit as well for these kids. But yeah, at some point there needs to be <laughs> some separation. And so kind of what does that look like going forward as things sort of get back to normal? I, I like the idea that we can kind of, um, we have this opportunity to wholesale think, you know, think through our new, a new lifestyle, a new right. life processes. Yes. Um, okay, so next question, 15. What's your least favorite part of the design process that, that you guys engage in? Uh, so I think it's the end. I think, um, you know, and so it's for sure there's definitely projects where you're like, oh, God, I can't wait for this to be over with. Um, but I think for those, the ones that are maybe a bit more personal, the ones that are maybe a bit more, like, rewarding and engaging, um, I think of it kind of like when you finish a really good book and you just kind of like, you're like, oh man, what do I read now? You know, like you're, you're just kind of like, you, you, you had so much fun doing it. And then when you're finally done, you're just kind of like, oh shoot, <laughs> like I, I almost wish I could keep working on this. Um, 
And so then you've got to find that, that kind of next great book to start reading or whatever. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think, cause I, I really, I like the middle. I like like being in it. Like when you're really like kind of, um, you know, you're turning through a bunch of ideas and you're trying a bunch of new things and you're, you know, you're learning a bunch of new stuff and, you know, that part's really fun. And then when that part's over, it's like, oh shoot, now what? I love that answer. We, we haven't heard that yet. So I love that. The end. You're going to like some of these um, kind of future related questions. So the first is what will d- designers be doing in the future, in your opinion? My hope is that in the future, designers are, are, are more engaged in kind of bringing their ideas to like, like, um, into reality. Like I think, and I, what I mean by that is I, I like more of like, there's this blurring between designing and making. Um, and because I think a lot of, you know, when you think about like kind of a lot of the traditional kind of ways that designers engage with, uh, the built environment or, you know, physical product, um, there's still kind of this arm's length relationship to a lot of those, you know, where it's like, uh, you know, you might work at an industrial design firm and there's a client that approaches you with a product idea and you help them with that product idea and you get it to this certain point. But then after that point, like you're, you're no longer involved and, you know, they kind of like take it for wherever. And, um, or you might be an architect and a client comes to you and, you know, you kind of come up with the design and you, you might even do some construction management to help kind of get it built, but then like you're done. And, you know, I think, I think there's enormous opportunity for the kind of an improvement in kind of the final output of like, if you could kind of carry that design interaction, like a little bit further, Um, you know? And so I, as I think about, in morning, and I think you're starting to see this trend, right? And and you've seen this for years of like the emergence of, for example, design thinking as a discipline. Um, you know, I don't know when that genesis occurred, but like, you know, that's fairly new kind of development of like, hey, let's let's have this discipline called design thinking, and it's going to be about bringing these elements of design that traditionally have been applied only to design, but now we're going to bring them into other spaces and we're going to kind of create um, a discipline around kind of training people to think a certain way. And I think um, it's almost like the design thinking, but applied to, you know, building things and making things um, kind of, kind of, you know, that, that kind of idea and that kind of concept. Very cool. Yeah. And I think that's um, the dream of a lot of designers, um, is to be, be able to be more hands-on, um, more more integrated in like the, you know, the building, you know, especially 3D designers of like the work getting realized and getting built and then being able to learn from it and and adapt it and, you know, see see like future iterations come come about. I think that's, that's cool. Yeah, you're um, sparking a lot of ideas. Um, okay, so the next question is the myth question. Um, what's a myth about design that you'd like to debunk? So I, uh, I love this question, by the way. And, uh, I, I think a myth, um, about design, and I think this is kind of a myth, an external myth. So I think people in design probably don't (laughs) feel this way, but people outside design, I think look at design and think it's about 
um, it's really just about like kind of inspiration and creativity. And, and, and those are for sure critical elements, I think, of any kind of creative and design kind of practice. But for me, um, I think it's, it's really about intent and effort. I think it's, it's about having this vision and this certainty around kind of what it needs to be at the end. Um, and then and being able to kind of see that through and go through a lot of the, the hard parts, like the unglamorous parts. There's a lot of times where you're not particularly creative. Um, or you're not, you're just, you're really not generating a lot of ideas that are moving this towards that intent. Um, but I think it's, so it's really, it's about tenacity and fortitude and, um, and kind of this unwavering effort to see this through. Um, and again, about that vision of seeing, of having the ability to go, I, I don't know how it's going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to achieve this. But I really think that this destination is where it needs to. We need to be aiming for, and then we're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna do everything I can to see it through and to get it there. Um, and so, and I think that's to me then um, what I've learned is it's really it's 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 really great to like sit back with your coffee and just kind of you know on a nice day and, and like sketch with your sketchbook and you're kind of coming up with new things and. You know, those moments are fantastic. And again, they're really important. They're an important part of the practice. But uh, I think the meat and potatoes really is the, the vision and then just the the determination and tenacity. Right. I would even translate that to the dream, you know, like trying to keep the dream alive and having the dream being the, the motivation. Right. I like your depiction of the creative where it's like, yeah, you show up to your office and you've, you know, you've got your coffee. Of course you're going to do creative work, but yeah, if you don't have like that drive, like a, of a vision, um, it's, yeah, it's going to feel maybe a little empty or you're not, you're not going to have the wherewithal to get through the hard parts. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the work in design, I mean, I think to be successful in any of these creative fields, whether it's, uh, product design or architecture or dance or uh, painting it's like you you've got to do the work and it not every day is going to be this kind of this discovery of this like deep well of creativity I mean there's a lot of days I think those are rare I think a lot of the days it's kind of like it's time to eat the donuts <laughs> like it's like get up in the morning get to work um, and it's, it's just that repetition, um, and it, that bears yeah, fruit for sure. and it, you know, that, that, that keeping it going is what is really important to seeing those outcomes and achieving those outcomes. And, uh, it's not glamorous, uh, many times, but, but it's, I, I appreciate some of those like mundane days where you're just like, yep, I'm going to draw some lines, you know, and, like make some edits. Uh, you know, yeah. because yeah, you can't, you can't be full firing, you know, firing and all cylinders creative all the time. That's just, that would, it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. So yeah, this could have, it's going to have a balance, but um, definitely there's that, that, that's, that's, that is a myth. You know, I think that um, it's just full flowing creativity all the time when you're a professional. I, I, I think one thing that I add to that too, that I think is missing from a lot of 
uh, outside perspectives on design is the importance of critique and criticism too in improving uh, design. And I think that's something that as an outsider, you know, again, coming from an engineering background, um, that that's not incorporated into that practice very often. Yeah. You know, you don't have, uh, you know, sessions where you come and critique these engineering ideas because a lot of it's like it's either right or wrong like it's either the math was done or it wasn't done and um i think when you get more into these design realms or these creative spaces where um you know there's not an analytical formula that's going to drive you to the right design sometimes that helps you know there's analysis tools and stuff but the, it's really kind of seeking out input from others and needing these people to be fairly critical of what you've done um, to help that idea get better. And it's not personal, or it shouldn't be, but it is. It still can be hard to hear <laughs> that you know uh, this idea that you you have a lot of passion about and you're very excited about uh, isn't as received as well received by others as maybe you thought it would be and that there's maybe some flaws to it that you didn't see and that, you know, and, and, but those all make it better. And I think it's like, you have to be, you have to be open to that and you have to be willing to, you know, incorporate that in order for, you know, these, these ideas and these designs to get better. And, you know, that, so it's kind of like putting yourself, behind and below your craft and your practice it's like there's me and then there's what i do and what i do is what's important and that 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 output is what's important not me personally or how i feel about it that that doesn't matter yeah separating your your ego from it a bit or not yeah. not being too married to it. and then uh, then it allows you to kind of keep molding and re reshaping i think right. it allows you some flexibility which is needed um okay so like a related you know, very relevant to this question um, is the question about creativity um, and how how you how do you define um, true creativity? So I've always, you know, it's I think there's a there's a difference between like true creativity and like being clever. And I think you you, know, you hear the expression of like thinking outside the box a lot. And for me, I think you know when I think of like like truly creative um, thinking and truly creative actions. And it's almost like not only did you think outside of the box, like you completely like flipped the box upside down and like, you know, inverted it. Like, it's just, you know, it's almost kind of like, you know, you reframed a question or a problem in a way that now solves, you know, four additional problems. And I think, uh, you know, and that's rare because I think a lot of times as as a designer, you know, and I'm kind of thinking in terms of like architectural and product, but, um, you know, you're kind of like you're given a set of problems to solve and you're given some constraints to work within and, and you know, you're trained to kind of um, explore options that, you know, keep you within those parameters and solve those problems. And you know, and then certainly there's a creative aspect to doing that. But I think uh, true creativity is kind of like would kind of takes those same inputs, um, but can kind of see past them a bit and kind of get to some of the underlying issues that might exist that aren't really communicated and then solve some of those things. So it's it's a little bit of, of like, uh, you know, maybe 
like design blended with like a, you know, a kind of witch doctor kind of. Um, but I, or, you know, I, I think there's there's elements of just um, again re reframing these questions and, and coming up with like solutions that address more than just kind of what's been presented. And you, you've alluded to the well a few times, you know, through your questions and kind of like having having access to that that well, that kind of well of inspiration. That's yeah, where kind of solutions come from beyond beyond your realm, right? Right. Right. Yes. Um, so we're at the end. Twenty. Question number twenty, and um, it's a little bit of a lighter question. So the question is, what activity outside of work do you engage in to help uh, tune your design chops? So uh, I would say cooking. Uh, for me, so cooking, I've noticed uh, over, as I've gotten more into my own practice, um, and I've paid more attention to like these technical elements that have a huge impact on the outcomes that I engage in in practice. Uh, I, I can't help but notice the same things in the kitchen of like, wow, you know, when you really, when you, when you follow instructions, this is what happens. Like it actually works. And yeah. And, um, I don't know, I don't know why that wasn't so obvious to me in the past, but, um, I have definitely noticed that, uh, you know, I've kind of brought some of these aspects of my practice into the kitchen um, probably not as often as my wife would like to see me do it, but uh, I definitely have incorporated more of like a technical inquiry into like cooking that didn't exist in the past. And um, which has been a lot of fun because it's kind of like I would, I never really got it before of like, well, why, you know, like, like high cuisine, I don't really understand. Like it's food, like food is food. And, um, and to a certain degree, I think that's that's still true. But I do appreciate more now these like more technical and more kind of elaborate methods of preparing different kind of foods and like the effort that goes into that. And then, you know, the outcomes that you see and you're like, wow, this is better. Um, I don't know if it was worth the effort, but it was definitely better. And um, and that's something that uh, I think <laughs> It, it definitely parallels, you know, some of, of my practice. So not directly practice related, uh, you know, but uh, um, still something that uh, is is a little bit related to what I do. Yeah, sharpens your chops and your yeah. your creative process and your, yeah. your your ability to stay on task. Um, great answer. Okay, well, thanks so much, Matt, for joining me for the twenty questions. It was a pleasure to pick your brain and. Um, understand more about what binary does and kind of your motivation behind the work there. Um, yeah. So great, great conversation. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's, it's been, it's been a thrill to, uh, to be on and, and to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. And um, everybody definitely go check out binary SLC on Instagram. You can see a lot of their um, creative output happening there and they do workshops. So everybody that's in Salt Lake city, um, you know, once, you, you, you're going to get back to doing the workshops in the, I would assume in the, in the fall. As soon as possible. Yeah. As soon as it's safe to congregate. Um, and who knows, maybe there'll be some socially distanced uh, clay 3d printing workshops that, that we can come up with. But uh, yes, as soon as, as soon as we're able to host people into the space safely, 
uh, I very much look forward to um, to seeing people that would like to come check it out. Cool, I'll be there. Thanks again. You're welcome.